Hello there, and welcome to the second installment of Capitalism Sucks. I'm your host, Natalie Grady. Today, I am going to be talking about something similar to last time. If you remember last time, myself and my friend Naleo Ferro actually talked about gender and queerness and um, views on women in Hawaii and how colonialism can impact those views. Today, I'm going to be using Hawaii as a case study again however instead of colonialist impact I'm going to be focusing solely on the impact of capitalism on gender and women and queerness not only in Hawaii but hopefully also um, in the context of globalization. So to do this, I'm going to be drawing on a number of texts, but I'm going to start with a close reading of an excerpt from Marx and Engels' collected works. So this is one of um, Karl Marx's earlier writings on capitalism, communism, and the effect of capitalism on the human. So this particular quote, uh, Marx talks a lot about men in his writings. So it is going to be talking about men. However, I switched the word man to woman and him to she just to add a little bit of an effect because I think it um, applies more to women um, and our commodification and fetishization under capitalism. So this quote reads, woman, however much she may therefore be a particular individual, and it is just this particular particularity which makes her an individual and a real individual communal being is just as much the totality, the ideal totality, the subjective existence of thought and experience society for itself. She also exists in reality as the contemplation and true enjoyment of social existence and as a totality of vital human expression. So what Marx is essentially saying here is that human beings are not only particular individuals. Um, We're not just one discrete person and identity. We are also the totality of all subjective existence and thought um, and experience in a society for itself. So we're not only individuals, but we're also social beings. And we are also... um, we also exist in reality as a, as Marx says, as a contemplation and enjoyment of social existence and as a totality of vital human expression. So each thing that a human does not only impacts the whole, but adds again to the overall experience of humans. So we can't simply be um, break, broken down into discrete individuals as capitalism would have you believe. Instead, we are all very interconnected and every human being is a representation of all other human beings because we're not simply individuals. So then returning to our case study of Hawaii here, um, if you guys remember from my last episode, uh, my friend Aleo actually talked about how um, in Hawaii communities are very, very tight knit. Um, Like she said, it really takes a village to raise one person in those communities. So what I find interesting about that is that um, it's kind of a remnant of a lot of indigenous cultures, including uh, the native Hawaiian culture. 
Um, and what these indigenous cultures often have in common is a view of the world as sort of one big interconnected web. Um, this is also very similar in a lot of Native American cultures around the United States um, and other indigenous cultures in South America and in Asia and pretty much everywhere around the world. If you look at pre-colonialist periods, a lot of these cultures you know, had this belief that everyone was interconnected, not only with each other, but with nature. So again, returning to the quote from Marx, um, however much someone might be a particular individual, um, they are also the totality of human experience. So in these cultures, they have recognized that one person wasn't just an individual. They had a responsibility to, um, not only their group of uh, their community, but also to the earth and to the world. So that's why you see in a lot of these indigenous religions in these early religions, there's this belief of nature as part of you and that and that any action you make towards another person or towards nature will come back to you in some way. So, um, you know, in Native Hawaiian culture, there's this belief that, you know, everybody is interconnected, but also that love and sexual bonds and romantic bonds are shared between everyone because there's no belief that, you know, there's these these succinct individuals and marriage wasn't necessarily a thing um, between only two individuals because they said love does not have to be contained in that way. They didn't see it like that. They said they saw love as a communal thing, as a as a worldly thing. It wasn't just you know, one individual at a time. So in an article I talked about in the last episode, um, sexual orientation and or gender identity slash expression, discrimination, and victimization among self-identified LGBTQI Native Hawaiians in Hawaii by Rebecca L. Stotzer. She talks about how um, acting on your sexual desires was a lot healthier than trying to deny those desires and and that those desires were healthy because um, uh, it showed that um, the community was not only tight-knit, but that a chief um, in particular, a chief having relationships with different members of the community, um, they could have relationships with both men and women to make everyone sort of feel involved and to give rank to everyone in the community, not just women or not just men. So, you know, a lot of that was part of this sort of belief that, hey, you know, it's not just individuals, it's this whole community, this whole um, connected community. And again, their views on sexuality and gender really reflect this because, you know, what Marx is saying is that we can't just take an individual as one person and say, your human experience is your human experience. You know, it's nobody else's, it's nothing else's, it's not connected to anything. That's what capitalism loves to do. Instead, in Native Hawaiian culture, they were sort of saying, no, everybody's experience is valid and all of these experiences are connected. So we're going to share experiences of love and community uh, with each other, with everyone. And we're not going to limit it to just, you know, males and females having a relationship. And we're not just going to limit it to, you know, men choosing their partners. We're going to give both males and females sort of a voice in those processes and also we're going to use love and romance as a way to connect the community and not as a way to establish sort of um, status. Because if you look at ca traditionally capitalist countries like the United States, a lot of marriages early on, and even now, have a lot to do with status. 
And not the kind of status that, uh, you know, Native Hawaiian culture cared about, which was a lot about bloodline and sort of, you know, uh, uh, your ancestors. You know, more in a capitalist society, the value of ancestry and the value of love is diminished. And in place of that, you get monetary value. So you see these marriages in the United States being being um, especially during the early 20th century and before that, you know, you're seeing marriage as a way to gain status. Your your mom wants you to marry um, a rich man so that you're provided for, you know, and a lot of that has to do with status. Um, and it takes away, another thing that Marx always says is that capitalism takes the value of something and and disregards it in place for one monetary value, which is completely abstract in nature. But again, Marx's quote here, uh, you know, woman, however much she may therefore be a particular individual, and it is just this particular particularity which makes her an individual and a real individual communal being. So so him saying that is saying, um, however much a person might be one person um um and that that them being that one individual makes them a real individual however being an individual means being part of a community so he's saying here you can be an individual you can see yourself as an individual but being one essentially just means that you it it, it implies that you're part of community so what this says about value, what I was talking about is, is if you can continue with this quote from Marx, he says, is just as much the totality, the ideal totality, this ex- subjective existence of thought and experience society for itself. She also exists in reality as the contemplation and true enjoyment of social existence and as a totality of vital human expression. So this gets at a really core idea of Marxism. So what he's saying is there's two different values, essentially, to a person. There's use value and there's value. So a woman or a man or an individual has their use value as the contemplation and enjoyment of social existence, the totality of vital human expression, you know, these relationships between people, that's their use value. Essentially, a use value is what something is used for. You know, wood has a use value ingrained in it, and that use value is used um, to create things and to produce and all of that. And a value is is what capitalism places on it. So so that's, you know, the aspect where you're an individual. And that's real. That's reality. However, it, it it's only the tip of the iceberg. The value is only the tip of the use value. So the value says you're an individual human. You have no value beyond that. You are one person. And whatever you do with your individuality is your value. However many hours you work, however many products you produce, all of these things, that is your value. Use value is the bottom of the iceberg, the much bigger part that you don't see when you get a price tag, right? Um, or, or when you get one individual human being going in for a job interview, whatever. You see them as an individual, you know, how many hours can they work, blah, blah, blah. That's the value capitalism gives them. Their use value is, you know, 
um, um, their perceptions of art and relationships with other people and the things they create and the ideas they have and um, the history of their life on the planet, you know, their interactions with nature. All of these different things are part of the use value. And so what capitalism does is it says, screw the use value. We're just going to talk about the value, which essentially is white male labor. And we're going to get rid of all these other things. So again, one of the examples of this in Hawaii is, you know, when um, colonialism uh, uh, sort of took over the island, um, there was this idea where, you know, none of your tribal bonds matter, your relationships to the land don't matter, your relationships to each other don't matter, you know, this genealogy, this way that you're tracking uh, uh, the value of um, a family lineage, that doesn't matter. None of what you believe has value matters. The only thing that matters is the pineapple that we're going to harvest. And again, another example of that is, you know, uh, Governor Dole. He came in and he was the first governor of Hawaii um, after uh, the coup that uh, took power away from their queen. So he came in and he literally used his position as governor, quote, uh, quote, governor. Um, he used that position to basically, uh, uh, I don't want to say pillage, but just kind of took, sucked the islands dry of all their natural resources, exploited them for those natural resources, and said, that's the only thing of value here. The only thing of value is the pineapple or whatever, the papaya, whatever fruit, you know, um, that's the only thing of value is that. And then later on, sugar and also tourism. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. But but in this case, I think um, a really good example of capitalism, you know, um, kind of diseasing the the previous indigenous views of the world as interconnected and part of this giant web. An example of that kind of comes in um, an article by Lindsay Malfer, where she kind of talks about the impacts of colonialism and also capitalism on the island. So one example of this, which I kind of briefly touched on in my last uh, episode, is the telescope that was built on the mountain of Mauna Kea, um, located on the big island. So that telescope was built by the government, the United States government and the military. Um, and the idea was that it was going to help with scientific research, blah, blah, blah. And they wanted to build it on the mountain of Mauna Kea. Now, the problem with that is that the island or the telescope was going to be built on this mountain on a specific location that contained miles of sacred land. So they were deciding that they were going to build it there because Again, what capitalism does is it says the use value, which is the sacred um, history of the land, which gives the people of Hawaii, um, you know, a deeper ancestral and spiritual connection to the land, which helps them to take better care of it and to monitor it better and to use it better. All of those things don't matter. The only thing that matters is that there's a certain amount of square feet that will fit a telescope. And again, you that that's reminiscent of this capitalist mentality that the only way to make value out of something is is to appropriate it. You know, it's that wood by itself, a log doesn't have any value. It only has value once you make it into a house. That's what capitalism says. So in this case with Mauna Kea, um, the land to the government and to uh, the company that was building it, 
the land had no value beyond the fact that it was going to be developed into a telescope. So, you know, thousands of people protested the the building of this telescope. Um, hundreds and hundreds of Native Hawaiians um, were on strike there and peacefully protesting basically to prevent the building of this. And there's tons of footage of, you know, these elderly Native Hawaiians who are very well respected and revered in those communities um, being pushed and shoved off the road where, well, the police are trying to get the, you know, builders up there to start building and start construction on this. Um, so that's just one example, you know, is that is that none of the value that is held by those Native Hawaiians, none of the things that they see as valuable on that island are seen as valuable um, from a capitalist lens. And so their entire culture is kind of boiled down to just the things that can benefit um, someone monetarily. So this also gets into the treatment of women and gender and all these things, because once again, the only thing that matters is money, and we want as much free labor as possible. And now, you know, you might be wondering, what the hell does labor have to do with gender roles or queerness? And um, this is sort of where I'm going to transition into specifically talking about those things in um, uh, other cultures in terms of, you know, capitalism through colonialism kind of permeating and poisoning uh, those cultures. So, Again, as I said, um, you know, Marx says that labor um, in terms of uh, capitalism is valued differently than it should be. So labor isn't just, a few, you know, based on time. Labor has to do with uh, mental exertion, uh, the amount of natural resources used, you know, who's doing the building or the making or whatever, whose ideas was it, um, um, you know, does it have any cultural bearing? That kind of stuff. That's not taken into account with capitalism. The only thing that's taken into account is time. So it's, you know, you work this certain amount of time and you get this certain amount of money. And we're not going to tell you why we decided that's how much money you get, but that's why. Um, and again, like I said, this only works if all of that other stuff I talked about is completely devalued. And the way they do this is they target certain groups and they say, your value isn't worth as much. You are not worth as much as a white man. And again, colonialism plays a big part in this, but I think that we see more effects of this um, through capitalism because capitalism has been implemented, especially in Hawaii because it's part of the United States now. Capitalism has been implemented over the past, you know, 100 years and more all over the world and the capitalist mindset has as well. And I'm also going to, you know, I want to separate capitalism and practice from a capitalist mindset as well, because I think a capitalist mindset is sort of what's been permeating and poisoning, you know, indigenous beliefs and cultures. So now let me get back into this free labor thing. So what I mean when I talk about that is, again, that certain groups are not valued for their work and for their labor. And this isn't a traditionally a, a traditional thing. This isn't an innately human thing. This is a capitalist thing. So an example of this, again, is in Hawaii. Um, in an article called Native Hawaiian Decolonization and the Politics of Gender by Keolani Kanau. Kanu. Um, 
uh, she talks about the original roles for women in Hawaiian culture. So um, she talks about a book called Mawahine Kapu, um, uh, which is The Divine Hawaiian Woman um, by uh, Professor Kamalewi. Again, I sound like an asshole, but I'm just going to try to say these names as best as I can. But um, basically, in this book, uh, uh, the author talks about the fact that female gods are ancestors to modern Hawaiian women and have inspired them in their role as the strong female leaders of today. And so women have this um, kind of ancestral bond to the female uh, traditional Hawaiian gods. Um, and that because of this, they should be far more valued, um, in Hawaiian society and in society in general. Um, and historically, you know, in Hawaii, gender was not a standalone category. All gender roles were mediated by genealogical rank. So, you know, and, and kinship, like I said last time, is bilaterally recognized through both maternal and paternal lines. You don't only care about your paternal line, which, you know, happens a lot in the United States and in other capitalist um, modes of production is, you know, it's only recognized through the man. And, um, you know, an example of that is is the guy who wrote The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. His, his long-term partner um, wasn't given any money because the paternal line is what the money's passed down through unless it's otherwise um, indicated. So it was given to his father. And um, his father didn't care at all about him or the family or anything, yet he was given the money because, again, in a traditionally capitalist society like Sweden, which, you know, they have some socialism going on, but not enough. Um, <laughs> they still have, like I said, a capitalist mindset, and that is what matters. Again, returning to uh, Hawaii, um, to quote uh, <clears throat> to uh, quote the article by um, Keolani, um, uh, quote, women were also symbolically associated with land, valued as producers of high cultural goods and participants in a separate domain of female ritual and social power. So they had a special role in Hawaiian culture. They were viewed not as less than men, simply as different. And um, Naleo mentioned in our last podcast that men and women sat separately um, when they ate. And when the colonialists came to Hawaii, they saw this as a barbaric practice. They're like, oh, why do you eat with women? As if they don't, you know, go on these stupid cigar breaks during dinners with women and say, you guys clean up, you know, talk about sewing and whatnot. We're going to go drink and smoke cigars. As if that's not that's not, you know, separating men and women. And and in that case, it's it's done for status. In in the case of Native Hawaiians, it wasn't a status thing. It was simply because men and women were different. Um, and they had different roles and they had different responsibilities. So they wouldn't often eat at the same time. They would eat at different times because they had different things to do, all this kind of stuff. So it wasn't a rank thing. You know, both of their roles were equally valued. Um, and that's why you had queens, you had um, um, leaders like Queen Leilogulani, who, who were women, but were just as well respected and valued as men. When capitalism comes in, what it does is it wants as much free labor as possible, as I mentioned. So it takes away the value of one group, in this case, Hawaiian women. It takes away their value 
And it says all the things you do, all the things you're responsible for, you're not going to get compensated for. You're not going to have any compensation. Instead, we're going to pay your men, maybe sometimes, to uh, destroy your land for us and to uh, over harvest and all these things and over farm. So we're only going to value the men. And the women were kind of like, well, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) And it was a situation of, you know, well, that's not our problem. Take care of the kids, whatever, whatever. And then you have the same issue you see over and over and over again, where women's value is completely taken away. And the only value that they are seen having is for their bodies, for child rearing and for sex. And especially with Indigenous women. In the case of uh, Native Hawaiian women, they often did not wear shirts. They often were bare-breasted. And they wore very revealing skirts because it's tropical climate. You know, it makes sense that they wouldn't wear that many clothes. But this automatically was seen as a sexual kind of thing by, you know, white males who were coming in and colonizing. They were saying these women are sexual objects. And, you know, they did personify the Hawaiian Islands as women that needed the hand of men to kind of, you know, shape them, put them in shape and stuff. Um, And so when I talked earlier this quarter in uh, uh, about Morocco, um, again, you see women completely devalued except for their roles as caretakers and as mothers and as sexual objects. And what does that do? It creates a lot of stay at home moms. It creates a lot of female prostitutes because, again, their only value is as a service to men, either sexually, as a child rearer, or, you know, as a homemaker, any of those things. That's their only value at that point. So, of course, it's this huge change for Hawaiians and for any any indigenous culture in Morocco as well. They were, they, you know, it wasn't necessarily like that before until colonists came and said, The only thing we're going to give value to is your natural resources. We're either going to enslave you to get uh, to to heart or to um, appropriate those for us and get those out for us. Or we are going to pay you measly wages and then make you buy back those resources from us at an exponentially higher price. Um, And so men had a sort of role in that. Men, you know, had to work on the farms. Um, In Hawaii, for example, Governor Dole had huge pineapple plantations. So on those plantations, he would only uh, hire men. And then women were left at home to kind of figure things out. And um, again, didn't have any sort of outlet for income. So they were reduced to prostitutes and reduced to sexual objects and reduced to homemakers. And we see this over and over and over again in um, this process of globalization. Uh, And this not only affects women either, again, to mention mahu, which is a word used in Native Hawaiian language to mean kind of a third gender, intersex, kind of gender, um, uh, kind of androgynous, kind of no gender. Um, gender non-conforming. So they had this word, which was intentionally uh, uh, incorrectly translated by Christian missionaries, by the way, to kind of get rid of any kind of meaning like that. These people had a really, really important role in traditional uh, Hawaiian culture. They were hula dancers, they were teachers, um, they led ceremonies. And then now 
they're reduced to entertainers and prostitutes, once again, for the entertainment of the white ruling class. So to return to the original quote um, from Marx, once again, I'm going to read in its entirety. Women, however much she may therefore be a particular individual, and it is just this particularity which makes her an individual and a real individual communal being, is just as much the totality, the ideal totality, the subjective existence of thought and experience society for itself. She also exists in reality as the contemplation and true enjoyment of social existence and as a totality of vital human expression. So again, to return to kind of the main argument here, um, people are not just a means to uh, labor and to create products. People are not just, you know, producers. People have a great am amount of value behind that. They have exponential value underneath that. And yet capitalism reduces them to one thing, to one value. And this mainly happens to women and to people uh, and to queer people and people of color, which is why we see this so often um, in colonialism. So um, I hope that after today's episode, you have a better grasp on how uh, capitalism has kind of poisoned and morphed traditional indigenous values about uh, women and queerness and sexuality and nature and how it takes all of those things, destroys them and replaces them with one monetary value and um, kind of enslaves people to it and subjects them to it. Um, so thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.